Hey there, and welcome to Leading Change Conversations, the podcast where we tackle real-life challenges with leaders like you to make organizational change a breeze. In this episode, we dive into a case where the person was coming for a big corporation and moved to a startup and where she found out that finally what she was able to implement in a very big organization didn't turn out to work in a small organization. And we will dig into this topic and find out what was going on and what she could have done differently. I am Ulrike Seminati. I'm your host and I train, coach and inspire leaders and leadership teams to turn into successful change agents, to communicate with impact, to lead with authenticity. So now let me introduce you to our amazing guest, Oksana Prokhorova. Oksana is a Lean Six Sigma Black Belt, PMP and change management enthusiast who moved across four countries, five industries, and shifted from 20 years of transformational change management in the world's largest companies to a small tech startup industry. <laughs> Welcome, Oksana. Hello. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me, Ulrike. Yeah. So you have that situation, like I introduced it in the beginning, where you have huge experience actually in managing change for big teams in a big company, and you move to a small one and to a startup, which is a specific situation. Exactly. And you were meant to help them to become, let's say, a normal company. So move away from the startup phase into normal business phase. And you had to manage quite a lot of change. Can you lay out a bit the case, what exactly was happening and what was the challenge? So, yeah, as you rightly said, I moved from the biggest FMCG company in the world to a tech startup. So the startup itself was... Uh, one third of the number of people who were reporting to me in my previous job, more or less. I had 20 years of corporate experience and yes, I was hired to help this startup become what is called scale up. Basically, when you have a settlement manufacturing, you have everything working as normal. So it means that you have a bit less room for experiment. You have a wing of a company that is really changing all the time, ideating and innovating, but you also have a wing of the company, which is a bit more, you know, routine, which is manufacturing. So yeah, you always have a lot of crisis in manufacturing. I do have changes, but you know, it's a bit more standardized, so to say. And guess what? After a year and a half, I realized that is not working. So all the techniques, all the change management tools that I've been learning for years, and you can think that from my background, like being a Lean Six Sigma and PMP, I'm very, very, very rigid and like very, very strict and procedurized. I'm trying my best to be as agile as possible, learning new change management techniques as, as much as possible. So I clearly understand that nowadays with the turbulence we have in the world, you cannot just say, you know, like in your personal life or profession, I'm going to reach a specific figure. I'm going to reach a specific target. It doesn't work anymore. So what I was trying to achieve didn't work. And I've been wondering ever since why the techniques that I applied successfully to 60 different countries, managing a project that was in full swing. It didn't work for my current assignment. Can you share what did you apply? with success in the bigger organization? So the situation was that I was assigned a scope that I didn't want. There was a very expensive product launched in a very unprepared way. 
and I just had to, you know, watch the failure rate of this product. And seeing this, I realized that, okay, guys, there is something that needs to be changed here fundamentally. Otherwise, it's not going to work. We had people resigning from the company. We had people leaving the company with burnout. We had terrible reputational damage and so on and so forth. So what I did, I did a 360 degrees study of what was going wrong. I basically grabbed several colleagues from different functions and we started going to physical customers. We went to Paris, we went to Germany, we went to Spain. We were seeing real people, talking to real people, uh, asking them to vent out and say what is wrong. And they were very happy to vent out, believe me. So it was not very easy to digest this feedback, but it was super useful. Then we did basically what was the traditional change management methods, uh, finding the root cause with all the fishbone diagrams and so on and so forth to understand what was going on. And to our surprise, what we thought was the root cause was more or less 30% of the root cause. That like, yeah, the product is breaking, the machine is breaking. But 70% of the cause were related to uh, our promises that were never filled promises that could not be filled and expectations that were created that were not realistic. So this was the scope of change. And the biggest challenge there was convincing people that this is not a hopeless case. Because everybody was so fed up by that point of time that they just didn't want to hear anything. Uh, I would be coming to them saying, listen, I found out what is the problem. Can you please make an effort here and here? I promise you it's going to work. And the initial feedback was like, no, please leave me alone, you know. And it was through choosing the change engines, so to say, the people who could still believe and who still had a bit of desire to put a bit of bandwidth available to make this change possible, that I could show to other people who were impacted by this change that, listen, if you do this, it works. So this is what worked. And gradually it was like a snowball building up that, yeah, it's changing, it's changing. And we managed to make the product, I don't want to say best in class, but like at the level of best reliability in this, in this group of products in a year. So this worked. And then, yeah, with this excess luggage of experience, you know, that gave me two promotions in three years, you know, like yeah, I was a superstar, etc., change manager of the year, and so on and so forth. I arrived to a task that seems very simple to me. And I failed. And I was doing exactly the same, you know. I was openly sharing with people what I want to do. I was showing them examples of why is a good idea. Like, okay, this worked. In my previous experience, look, this worked in, a, in this company. This worked in another company. Let's try to do this here. And sometimes I faced open resistance. Sometimes no, but uh, yeah, after a year and a half, I can see that it didn't work because I had to be off work for several months because I've just become a parent and I see that I'm not there and uh, nothing is rolling. So basically, I believe that if uh, you leave the garden and suddenly the tomatoes stop growing without you, something is wrong. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, it's, in it's interesting because the case you described as the success case in the previous company, 
it's, it's full of insights also for those who want to run a change already. I mean, you know, the 360 feedback, which you also got from your customers, is, it's really great to have the rational why change is really needed, to find out what is really needed, to then define an action plan. And um, what you did and what you rightly said, many people who thought it's hopeless anyway will never get there. You selected some people where you saw they, they can believe in it and they will believe in it. And you choose them as change agents to then convince the others, which is always obviously a good tool, especially if there are many people involved who have to support the change at the end. Now let's look into the existing case and why it didn't work. It's really, I mean, it's like, okay, why it didn't work? So I don't have the answer. We might find it throughout this episode. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When you were setting it up, you know, was it when you came in, you immediately had to bring in this change without having the time to, first of all, relate to the people, set up some basic ways of working. I can imagine as it's a startup, it may, might have been already right from the start a bit all over the place. You know, was, was that the starting point or what was the starting point in your current position? Um, the starting point was, yeah, it was a bit of a mix of everything you've described and more than that, because the initial assignment was that I had to set up manufacturing in the U.S. on the other side of the world with all the engineering team being here in Zurich. And it seemed to me a very bad idea. Because if you have a team that has no experience of developing and industrializing any product before, and you have supplier who is in a different time zone on the other side of the globe, you probably have a, a bit too many friction points there. And I thought, okay, I really prefer that we have somebody, if not uh, within a car drive, but at least, you know, on the same continent and the same time zone. So if we have an issue, we can basically grab the parts and the run and see in real life, in the manufacturing side, what is going on. It took me three months to convince the management that this was a much better idea to industrialize the product, at least in the beginning in Europe, where we are, instead of going straight away to the US and potentially face the need of having people live there basically for three months or like just, you know, go back and forth on intercontinental flights. Yep. And then uh, I was doing a tender for the manufacturers. So I chose the one that seemed good to me, and it honestly still seems good to me. But yeah, it didn't work. It was not fast enough for us on one hand. We were not fast enough on the other hand. So it was a mixed bag of issues. What I also observed is going to sound super counterintuitive. So when we come uh, to corporate uh, setup and we say, yeah, like, we have people there who are resisting the change because, as you rightly said when we were talking about having this recording, you cannot expect from the people that if you need for their job, they're going to be able to happily accept whatever you put on them and like execute whatever change you want. I have a feeling that in this case, there was a bit of too strong feeling of ownership that makes you resist the change. Like, listen, I've been doing this for seven years like that. Is my dream job is not some kind of boring corporate uh, setup. You know, I am building my dream product in the workshop, in the lab. And as much as I understand that for the business to grow, I need to let it go. Like, you know, as a parent, you need to let your child go at some point when they're adult. I don't want them. I know better. And in a startup, like basically everybody has an extreme sense of ownership of the product. The resistance I experienced was uncomparable. 
to any kind of corporate experience I've had before. Yeah, that's really an interesting insight. And I think that makes a difference. Because like you say, in, in any corporation, even if organizations want people to have a strong sense of ownership, people don't have that because it's a big corporation. You know, it's not like you put your whole heart into it. It's a job for a few years. In the best case, you're really motivated and, and you have some buy-in with the company goals. Mm -hmm. But then obviously, it's right. It's, it's really a good point. It's easier than to shift and to bring people into change in a certain way because they don't care so much with their heart about what they have right now. Absolutely. And this is also, it's understandable that people who have this kind of dream job, you know, that they have their own little perfect world where they're building a dream product. When somebody comes with what seems disgusting and corporate, like, ah, let's write the processes, KPI this, KPI that, they don't want it. Mm, exactly. Did you have the feeling that there were just a few individuals who were sticking very much to their initial idea and to, like they say, this extreme sense of ownership? Was it, or other way phrased, was it with some key decision makers you experienced that? Or would you rather say it was all across the smaller organization? Was, that... It was really all across. Yes, it was really all across the organization. Yeah, well, 90% of the organization, when you speak about really a small team, every person matters. Mm -hmm. How many people are we speaking about? Uh, at this point of time, it's 30. Mm -hmm. So when I just started, it was 20. So yeah, uh, every, every person matters and uh, you just even can be struggling to find your change agent when you have such a small team. Because if you are the only person who has a non-startup experience, it, it, this change is becoming a very lonely sport, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I really don't want to say that there is nothing I could have not done better in this situation, but just speaking out loud, more or less trying to understand what I should have done in a different way. Yeah, what, what has happened? I think what I see or what I understand is that they had developed this product. You know, they had all their heart in this product. Like you say, strong sense of ownership, emotionally very, very strongly connected to it. And like you say, no experience or no big experience, at least in a bigger organization. So they were in it all hearted. And you came from the outside as someone who was in a big organization. So if I look at it from a distance, I would say they probably immediately saw, saw you a bit like an alien in a certain way, you know, coming in, you're different. Yeah. And yes. immediately, certainly what I can imagine from a psychological perspective is that people thought, ah, she is different. So the conclusion is always when we think somebody is different, she doesn't understand us anyway. You know, she, she, doesn't, um, yeah, she doesn't have much credibility for us. Yes, exactly. Mm. So, and, and that was certainly or is the root cause of why they didn't want to follow any logical argument anymore. Because mm -hmm. when people don't trust, and it's not your mistake that they don't trust, it's just that your profile and your background was not trustworthy in that sense because it was different. I can imagine that alone from that, from that standpoint and from that position, it was or is just really, really hard to then immediately, you know, without having even the time to build trust for a, a certain more or less stable face, which is difficult enough in a startup anyway to find a stable face, but yes. <laughs> it's not that time, you know, that time of connecting for them to understand that, yes, I mean, okay, you have a different background, but you still 
can understand them, creating connection, having a good communication and creating just a more, a certain foundation, let's say, maybe not a stable foundation yet, but at least a certain foundation before you came with a proposal that in their eyes destroyed their dream. And I think that was probably the disaster or what they saw coming was like a, a real threat to their dream product, like you, you mentioned it. And with this, there was a very, very strong emotional resistance. And the problem with that is when people have their heart in something and you take it away, no matter if it's at work or at home, <laughs> I mean, we all know the reaction. It's very, very strong. Yeah? There's nothing that they're not receptive anymore to anything afterwards. Do you think that this is what happened? Yes, it was partially the case, but I also have a feeling that being a bit further from the top management when I was in corporate situation, like I was not CEO minus one, I was a bit lower in the hierarchy. Being a bit lower in the decision-making hierarchy was making it easier for me. It was giving me much more freedom to actually operate. So like, yes, I would have to report from time to time what I want to do, but it's not that I would have to defend every step I was planning to do, which was not the case this time. And I was really asking myself, why? Having been explicitly hired to do this and this and that, having been hired to turn this into a scale-up, which does mean it has to become procedurized and strict and boring, in a company which is not making balloons for children, is making highly regulatory supervised product, so to say, I have to make it boring. If we set up a process to become ISO certified company, which the big customers want, is extremely boring. If you, if you tell the person a startup, you need to be ISO certified, they roll their eyes and they faint. And I understand, you know, but if you want to sell to uh, multinational companies, they expect that, they expect that you have fully certified product. You need to do it because this defines the size of the deals that you can be getting. You need to so there is a way that you should describe in your business processes what you do. Mm. And if in like X months of my absence in the company, there has been not a single process written by anybody from the function, I don't think the change is flying. Yeah, what I think is, you know, sometimes people want something because they think they, they know they need it. You know, like this ISO certification and I've gone through that many, many, 20 years ago in my first role. It's super boring. It's super, yes. super boring. Horrible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I can imagine without knowing the people that in a startup you have profiles who are rather into everything that is innovation, creation. They're jumping also to new ideas certainly rather quickly, which is why they have shaped what they have started shaping. Yeah, exactly. And when you come in, and I think you are more of a profile who is very analytical, structured, oriented, you know how to manage processes. And if you have done that for 20 years, I guess you enjoy it as well. If not, you would have stopped it already. And I think what, what people who do not have these traits, but know that they want to grow their company and bring it from startup to scale up, then they have to move on with someone who does that because they know, and they knew, and that's why they hired you that they need someone who does that on the one yeah. hand. So I think the problem is that rationally they understood this because that's mm -hmm. why they hired you, but then emotionally it didn't work out because it was probably so irritating for, for them to have a, a type of personality they did not have to handle or manage before where they thought, hey, 
I can get along with her. She's odd, you know, something like that. I make it up. Huh? But I can imagine that for them, you were like, like I said before, a bit of an alien, you know, like, oh, God. And it's super boring. So it's exactly the opposite of what they enjoy. It's, it's really, I mean, they hate it probably, totally, you know, the, even more than, than other people who are themselves more structured would also not be excited about it, but they would take it on because it's logical and all of that. Mm-hmm. If you have profiles who do not embrace these kind of structures at all because they really hate it, you have a very difficult position. And I can imagine that if you have uh, 30 people and nearly all of them or all of them except you are really in a different place, then it's very, very hard to get this change through because all of your arguments could not be heard. Or even if they understood it rationally, they had zero motivation to do it because emotionally it was the opposite of what they actually wanted. And, and in that case, I think it's super difficult to handle the change. The only thing that you could have done better, for example, is the expectation management before they even hired you. I'm sure that you told them that you are able to implement processes and structures and all of that stuff. Yeah. And probably that was going into one ear and out the other one directly because that's like, yeah, that's what we need without being or without really being aware what that means for them. And I think for all of those who listen and who change from, from one or the other, no matter the direction, also from a startup to a bigger organization, mm-hmm. you have the opposite problem eh? to really understand that people think totally differently. And to put the finger on it right from the start or even before you start, because it's nearly making it a condition that you start working there. Say, hey, I am different. Are you aware? You know, are you really aware that we have a very, very different way of thinking and that not understand each other? Are you aware? With the risk that you don't get the role, obviously, then, you know, Mm -hmm. that. But I can imagine that in the beginning, this, this is the discussion to have, which needs to be quite confronting because it is confronting profiles and perspectives on how businesses are running fundamentally. So I think there is the difference where I can see a change could have happened because in the change process as such, you know, like you, like you did it or you, like you tried to do it because it was just necessary. It was already too late. Even when you have just started, which is a bit like hopeless <laughs> indeed. But I think in the situation, it's all about this expectation management and really putting things on the table in terms of, okay, do you really want to scale up? If so, you, it has a price. It has the price to, to make changes you, you do not embrace with your heart like you did in the startup phase. Scaling up has a price. Do you want to pay that price? And it's this and this and this. If it's a clear yes, but really taking them emotionally and understanding this is an emotional decision for you. It's not a rational one. The rational one they have taken. But then the emotional one came in the way and they stopped everything or resisted, let's say, to everything. And then it didn't work out. My mistake was that I thought, you know, that in a startup, everybody has a bit of stock options. And uh, I was thinking, oh, yeah, you're a co-owner of the company. If the company goes big, you will have your money printed, you know. And I thought, like, everybody wants that to become a millionaire of my stock options. And I was thinking that this is a reasoning good enough to understand why we need to scale up. Yeah, it was not because it's also not emotional. Mm. It's logical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This year also I had a client actually who was a startup <laughs> and I was struggling with them as well. Be- and, and now thinking back to it, it's a bit of a similar case because they also had this great emotional connection and you had so many decision makers in the company 
that they among themselves couldn't really align. And they also, like your case, they wanted to move on to something else to, to mm -hmm. skate up. But then the tool and the needs and all of that, for which I was, was hired as a consultant, they didn't want to accept it or then, how to say, made it so fluffy that it had no impact anymore. <laughs> Because I think they were so afraid of really changing something in the system that they love so much because of what they have created so far. And I think that is probably a big learning when it comes to moving to a startup as a person who has not created that startup. So I think from that perspective, it's really interesting to get this awareness. Hey, this is, this is really a big step. No, it's not just like, oh, let's try a smaller company instead of a bigger one. But what you it's might a think. A different planet. Yeah. It's a different, yeah. It's a different planet and you put your feet into something that is very, very emotional. So either you are really, really, really good in managing these emotional things and it's very, very hard. Or you really need to be aware that, yes, okay, let's try it out. But the risk of uh, failing and of making an experience that you might not enjoy that much is relatively high. And from a startup perspective, I think it's also important if any startup owners listen here and they're exactly in that phase, we need to scale, but now we need processes. We need the boring stuff, yeah, <laughs> that they understand that's, that's a hard moment. That's a hard change moment because it's an emotional change from It was so nice to create things and we were so, you know, we were so productive with that and, and we love it towards something. Okay, we have to give away some of the things that we love here. We have to do that if we want to scale up. Either we do that or potentially the business will not run for very long or at least it will never scale. And I think that's for me would be two really in interesting insights into, into your case. Do you think there's something that you can do now <laughs> with that? Yes, basically, I still have time before my maternity leave is over to reflect on it and think how I could connect to this uh, group of guys better and to see what can move them. Even though I clearly understand that now is going to be 10 times more difficult than in the beginning. When I had a carte blanche to, you know, to do something, now I will have to start from a very different position that what I did didn't work as they were afraid of. So it's really, I have to manage an audience that is already disappointed for a good reason. Mm. Okay. And I think it's about having a discussion on a very, very open basis because now it's all about it, either it will not work out anymore for you as well there at all, yes, or, or it will, but then everybody really needs to be honest about what they really want and what you really want. I think for you, it could be an interesting discussion to really speak about that very openly, you know, saying, hey. It's, it's a hard thing for you. I know that, you know, that you understand their perspective. I think it's really about speaking a bit from their perspective, because I think you know the perspective that and sounds... you know the, why this resistance is there. And coming from that, maybe they get this impression of, that you have really an idea what's going on, also what's going on with them, and that you also feel the pain. You, you can empathize with that pain, you know, the, with the, which they have of letting go of something that they, that they love and that they don't want to change. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's really up to them to make the decision, yes or no, at the end. Yeah. Not that the scale-up will not happen, and that's not your decision. But I think having a discussion that is very open is probably the best thing that you can do when you go back. I agree. That was, that was good to have your perspective on it. It helps me get a bit more clarity. And to our listeners, nevertheless, don't be afraid of the change because it's, it's inevitable. 
even if it doesn't go well. Yeah, and I think this is really a great last word because it's true. We have uh, all the time changing situations and some of them seem like it will not work out. And very often it's related to the interpersonal skills, the interpersonal knowledge that we have and that, like in conflicts as well, that people look at things from their perspective and do not have the awareness what they have to let go, what, what they have to overcome to accept a change, for example. So thank you, Oksana, very much for this conversation. And um, to the audience, thanks for tuning in to Leading Change Conversation. And I hope that you found our discussion inspiring and informative. And if you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Plus, sign up for our newsletter to access our practical transformation roadmaps on a regular basis. So you'll also find what we have discussed today as some yeah, takeaways, actually, which you might want to use if you're in a similar situation. So if you want to improve your own skills on leading change or communicating more effectively, check out my courses for individuals, which are on my website. And last not least, if you want to become a guest on our show, just go on the website leadingchangeconversations.com and pick a slot of your choice in my calendar to discuss possibilities. So I'm surely looking forward to getting to know you. And until next time, keep leading, keep learning and making a difference. Thank you very much.